I'm Stephen Baxter. And I'm Kara Myberg Guzman. And this is Santa Cruz Local. On Friday, the state legislature wrapped up its session. It adopted several bills that have to do with housing. Those bills are on Governor Gavin Newsom's desk, waiting for him to sign into law. Today, we're going to talk about some of those key housing bills. To be clear, we're not advocating for or against these bills. We're just reporting on them because they directly affect Santa Cruz. The first one is AB 411. This is a bill that was offered just for Santa Cruz. It's Santa Cruz trying to get at redevelopment money. Kara, tell us about that bill. Okay, so AB 411 is Assemblymember Mark Stone's bill. It would unfreeze $16 million of former redevelopment bond money. It would allow this money to be used to build affordable housing in the city of Santa Cruz. So, recap. Redevelopment agencies were taxpayer-funded programs in California cities that helped those cities build. Redevelopment agencies were closed in 2012 by the state, essentially because of the recession. Santa Cruz has $16 million of former redevelopment bond money that hasn't been spent. It's just sitting in a bank account. But the city pays debt on that money. It's kind of like a mortgage. The city took that money out in kind of a loan, and it's paying it back, even though it hasn't spent that money. Now, Santa Cruz city leaders want to spend that $16 million on three affordable housing projects. These projects are already working their way slowly through local government. One project is at the Metro bus station downtown. The second project is that contentious downtown library housing garage project that we've already reported on. And the third project would bring housing for teachers. It would be built next to the former Natural Bridges Elementary School. This could mean, you know, 250 affordable housing units in our community that we desperately need. That's Bonnie Lipscomb. She's the city's economic development director, and she helped drive the bill's creation. There are a number of bills out there around affordable housing at the state level, but for a city our size, a city, you know, 60,000, the amount per capita that we get, that we have the potential to get through some of these bills is, you know, so much smaller. I mean, we're talking, you know, 100000 here, a planning grant there. I mean, we're, we're appreciative and we'll, take, we'll apply for everything that we can for affordable housing. But to actually have funding on the ground to close the gap on projects so that they're financially feasible, we're not going to see anything of this magnitude, I think, again. So, Kara... Those three affordable housing projects that you described, would those all completely hinge on this bill passing? This $16 million wouldn't cover the entire cost of these projects, but it would make it a lot easier for them to be built. That first project, the Metro bus station project, that's completely affordable. It's really hard to get money for completely affordable projects. The second project, We're not sure how much affordability will be part of it. The third project, that teacher housing project, we're not sure how much affordability will be part of it, but it's safe to say it will be hard to build without this bond. It's worth noting, though, that these projects are targeted by the city as the recipient of this money, but it's up to the city council to ultimately decide where the money goes. What's the status on AB 411 now? Like you said, it's on the governor's desk, but it's not clear if he's going to sign it. 
When I spoke to Assemblymember Mark Stone last week, Stone said he wasn't sure if the governor's going to sign it. Stone spoke to me by phone from Sacramento. His district includes Santa Cruz. Redevelopment has been a real challenge uh, changing anything around it the last number of years, and especially under the Brown administration. We did not run this bill because we know Brown would have vetoed it. And even this year, Department of Finance is opposed to it. So we don't know what the new governor is going to do. He has a lot of the same people in same position. So I imagine that Department of Finance will still oppose and ask him to veto this. Why does the State Department of Finance oppose AB 411? Okay, there's two main reasons. One, they think it sets a precedent for other cities to chase similar funding. That would drain state coffers if all of a sudden all cities tried to do something like this. But so far, only Glendale has followed suit with a similar bill. Number two, the State Department of Finance says that if the city is allowed to use that bond money, then it would create a hole in city schools funding. That hole would be $1.1 million annually, and the state would have to fill it. It's convoluted why the city taking its bond money would trigger the state having to pick up this bill, but that's what the State Department of Finance says. The state doesn't want to pay that money. That money otherwise would have come from local property taxes. Basically, there's a state law that says that school districts are required to get this minimum level of funding. If local property taxes can't pay it, then the state has to fill the gap. I asked Santa Cruz City School Superintendent Chris Monroe about this. She said she's not convinced that the state would entirely fill her funding gap if AB 411 passes. She's worried about her elementary schools that are entirely funded by local taxes. Do we have a sense if the governor's going to sign AB 411? Put it this way, Assemblymember Stone's staff is asking people to call, email, and write the governor to make sure he signs it. They're not confident that he will. We'll know by October 12th. That's the governor's deadline. Okay, next up, SB 330. That's the one about zoning law, right? Right. SB 330 forces cities to allow building projects that meet the density called for in the city's general plan. That's assuming that those projects meet all the other local requirements. Tell us about general plans briefly. Okay. A general plan is a city's blueprint for development. In Santa Cruz, it's for the year 2030. It's a guide. So what SB 330 does, among other things, is it would make it illegal for cities to reduce the zoning density below what's in the city's general plan or the city's current zoning. So for instance, in Santa Cruz's general plan 2030, it says parts of Soquel Avenue are mixed use high density. SB 330 would say that the city can't change its zoning to allow buildings with less density than that. And the bill would also do a few other things, right? Right. So it would cut the time for developers to get permits, and it would also cap the fees that developers pay. It's meant to accelerate the pace of new housing development. 
How does this bill apply to the city of Santa Cruz? Well, you may remember in our recent reporting that the city of Santa Cruz just killed the corridor plan. The corridor plan was this effort a couple years ago to update the city's zoning to match the higher density called for in the city's general plan. If SB 330 becomes law, the city can't reduce the density in its zoning. It also can't kill projects that match the density called for in the general plan, you know, assuming that those projects meet all the other local requirements. Where does this leave the city then? Last month, when the city council voted to kill the corridor plan, they also told the city staff to work on a new similar process. The city council wants to get community input on how to update zoning and the general plan. The city council's highest level priority, quote, preserve and protect residential neighborhood areas and existing city businesses, end quote. The second goal of the process, encourage appropriate new residential and mixed-use development, specifically enhanced affordable housing at, quote, appropriate locations along the city's main transportation corridors. Those goals seem opposed to each other, right? I mean, how do you preserve and protect a neighborhood while at the same time approving a bunch of new housing? Yeah, it's confusing. City staff were unclear on what the council actually meant by this motion. They kept trying to get Sandy Brown and other council members in the majority to clarify what they meant by that. And we didn't get a clear answer. At the first meeting where the corridor plan came up, council member Sandy Brown said she was concerned that developers could, quote, get around zoning rules to build projects denser than zoning allows. But at the second meeting about the corridor plan, she said it wasn't about downzoning. It was about affordable housing. So Sarah Fleming, a Santa Cruz city planner, responded to Brown's first point. The lot has to be a certain size and they have to provide a community benefit. So it's not as if the developer's just coming in and getting this permit and quote unquote getting around anything. They also have to provide additional benefit to the community via any any number of ways. It could be additional funding to the affordable housing in Luffy, to the parkland fee. It could be additional open space on site that's available to the public. There's a lot of ways they could provide that benefit. Fleming added that the city is waiting to see where the governor lands on SB 330. If it becomes law, then the city would not be able to decrease density. The governor has already signaled that he would sign SB 330. How did our assembly member Mark Stone vote on the bill? Stone was one of the few assembly members who voted no on SB 330. I asked him why. He said he was okay with how the bill forces cities to allow projects that fit their general plans. It was the other parts of the bill that he didn't like. So one thing SB 330 does is it shortens the amount of time that developers have to wait to get permits. That time adds to the cost of the project, which in turn raises the cost for the units. But Stone says that those hard caps on permitting times and also the caps on fees for developers, those could be used against cities. Stone is worried that when projects are approved, savvy developers could come back with changes to their plans, and then city planning departments wouldn't be able to charge fees or do anything about it. He feels those development fees are important because they help fund those city planning departments. So 
so this is what this is what my challenge was, and and I I, I went I, I went to the floor, probably thinking I was going to follow everybody else and just vote for this thing. But in the end, it just those kinds of concerns that had not really been addressed left me struggling with what I wanted to be able to say about what we're asking local jurisdictions to do or not to do. So this was a this was a tough one. We need to build, and there are jurisdictions who are doing a good job, and there are jurisdictions who aren't, and I understand that. But this is a broad brush. This covers everyone, including those jurisdictions who, who are finding ways to say yes and put in place, allow developments to move forward. Uh, and if this was focused completely on affordable housing, which is where our real crisis is, then it's a little bit easier to understand. But this is all development. This is market rate. This is everything else. And this notion that if we just allow people to build whatever it is they want to build, that's going to get us out of the housing crisis is just not true. We need to make sure we're focusing on truly affordable housing and the kinds of housing at the that that meets the needs of people at various income levels, not just the most expensive housing that is the most that gives the biggest return for developers. Okay, great. Let's talk about some other movement in Sacramento this past week. There were a flurry of votes on bills because the legislative session wrapped up on early Saturday morning. There are two other housing bills that we want to highlight. These are both on the governor's desk. The first is AB 1482. This is a bill that puts a cap on rent increases. It also does a couple other things. This bill does not apply to single-family residential housing, which means it wouldn't apply to many of the rentals in Santa Cruz, but it would apply to some. The first part of the bill is that the cap on rental increases would be 5% plus inflation per year. The idea is that it would limit some landlords from having 20% or even 50% increases on rent. The second part creates some new rules on evictions. Landlords would now have to give tenants the chance to remedy problems that cause their eviction. Also, it would force landlords to pay for a month's rent for tenants who were kicked out because the landlord is either updating the apartment or selling or moving into the property. If you want a deeper dive into AB 1482, we recommend the podcast Gimme Shelter, the California housing crisis podcast. It's produced by reporters from Cal Matters and the LA Times. They had an episode on September 6th that interviewed one of the authors of AB 1482. It's worth a listen. Just briefly, the last bill is SB 5. It would recreate redevelopment agencies across the state. The bill was authored by Jim Bell of San Jose. Annual redevelopment funding for the state would start at $200 million, but eventually funding would scale up to $2 billion. That's more money than the redevelopment agency had before it died. As far as we know, the governor hasn't taken a position on this. Before we go, a few announcements. We're having our Santa Cruz local launch party this Wednesday, September 18th, from 5.45 to 7 p.m. It's at Cruzio in downtown Santa Cruz. Registration is full, but if you've RSVP'd, we'll see you there. If you're new to Santa Cruz Local, consider signing up for our free email newsletter. We'll send you info on local government meetings, news, and events. The sign up is on our website, santacruzlocal.org. 
Thank you especially to our Defender and Guardian level members, Jeff Gallipo, Elizabeth and David Doolin, Chris Necklison, and Patrick Riley. I'm Stephen Baxter. Thanks for listening to Santa Cruz Local.